The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome back to The Things We All Carry. Today is Tuesday. I believe it is the... 27th of February. <laughs> We're in a leap year. And the reason I, I'm so familiar with the fact that it's a leap year is because uh, I chose a leap year and a leap day to to retire from the fire service. Call it retirement, call it separation, call it stepping aside, call it embarking on a new journey, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, right now, today, I think I'd want to call it sheer panic. Uh, <clears throat> it's gotten in my head, you know, a little bit. Okay. You know, exactly, you know, or what if I've been aware that I, I cuss a little bit much on, on these intros, so I'm trying not to, but you'll pardon me. What the fuck am I actually doing? Why am I stepping aside? Why have I decided to forego a steady career? One I've had for over 10 years, one I'm still capable of doing and one I enjoy. And it kind of weighed on me today, you know, it, it a little bit of panic set in. And I had to take a step back. I had to listen to some, some advice from some, from a couple of friends who, who kind of stepped up to say, Hey, wait a second, let's look at what you're doing. Let's figure out how we're going to do it. And how do you structure things? You know, structure is an issue for me. Uh, one of the hallmarks of my quote unquote ADHD is the fact that I'm scattered. I'm all over the place when it comes to, to planning, when it comes to a calendar, when it comes to structure. I am all over the place. So one of the biggest things, one of the biggest challenges I'm going to face in this endeavor is just that getting myself organized and following a schedule and maintaining it from day to day. Now I've been told that making the schedule is probably the toughest part. Uh, once I get into it, I start a routine and, and routine's not bad. Routine, the routine is there for a reason and hopefully routine leads to produ productivity. On the other side of that though, is, is me stepping away from the fire service and, and the, the emotional impact that has, um, it's not easy. You know, uh, I reached out to another friend of mine who, who recently retired. And, and one of the things he said was he, he, the countdown was all fine and great until that last tour, until that last shift. And that's where I am now. Thursday is my last shift. This is my last introduction as an active firefighter. And in the next one I do, I'll, I'll officially be considered a retired firefighter. So Thursday's it, that that's, that's the line. And I can't even work the full day Thursday just because of the way the month falls. And, uh, I talked to him, I said, did you go through this, this roller coaster, this, this, this up and down of emotions. And, and like I said, he, he said, counting down was great until you got to the end. And once you got to the end, the counting down was hard. You didn't want to do it. And it's taking that step into an unknown. Uh, another friend described it as, you know, breaking up or divorcing a, a, an abusive partner. And that makes sense to me because the fire service is abusive in, in one way or the other. It beats us up, beats us up, chews us up. It spits us out. And at the end of the day, when you walk out that door, you, you don't matter anymore. In, at least in that world, you don't matter anymore. And that's tough for us as first responders because we're used to mattering. Like we make a difference. 
I don't care how large or how small it is. When we go somewhere and we get put on a call and we show up and we make the lights go and make the sounds and we lose all the way down the road, when we show up, we make a difference. That's our job. And then to, to think that when I walk away on Thursday, that door shuts and, and I won't matter to that community really, or to that department, the entity itself, you know, you got to grapple with that. And I, I, I'm grappling with that. I know that while the entity kind of forgets you and spits you up or chews you up and spits you out, the people though, the, the connections you made, they don't go away. And that's what I'm banking on. I have to maintain those connections and I have to maintain my sense of, of worth in the world, um, by doing what I do and, you know, forging a new path. Like I've been saying, uh, I reached out on Instagram to people on the, uh, the channel for the things we all carry. And I was like, how do you deal with it? And I had some great advice, some fantastic advice about it. And, and some of the stuff I'm already doing, some of the stuff I'll add in, some of the stuff isn't for me. And that's just because of, of my belief system. Uh, but most of all, I just have to accept that I've chosen this new normal and this new normal is what I make of it. And that's on one hand in brawling and it's exhilarating. On the other hand, it's scary as shit. And here I am. Okay, but it's up to you. You're taking care of everything. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things where I start to think, well, fuck, have I even been an adult for my entire life? I'm not sure. Now it's time to, to pull up my pants and, and do this thing. I started the fire service at an, at an older age. I was 44 when I went into, to the academy. So I spent just over 10 years and I'll be 55 in, in, in April. And I've changed quite a bit over that time. It's been a tumultuous four, four or five of the last 10 years. It, it has been a rocky ride. You know, I've had some loss in my life. Uh, we went through COVID. I uh, went through a divorce. I lost my mother. I lost a very good friend in the department. And I lost one of my best friends that I worked with and hung out with and talked to and confided in. And I kind of lost my sense of being, my sense of self. I'm ready for some of that to subside. You know, I want some normalcy. And that's, that's kind of ironic because here I sit jumping into the tumultuous deep end. But I think I do that so I can create my own peace and my own path and my own existence and I'm, I've done it before. I've invited you along and I'm going to do it again. I, I want you to come along for this ride. I want you to pay attention. I want you to learn what not to do, what to do. Uh, I want you to see that you don't have to rely on 25 years. You can, you can make your decision when you're ready to make your decision. And then you can go out into this world and you can apply the skills that you garnered and used for however many years you were a firefighter or a cop or a paramedic or whatever it is as firefighters, it's, 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 it's kind of crazy because they ask, you know, what skills do you have? And, and the answer is really should be what skills don't I have? Every time you need something, you call me or you call us. And the skill set is, is, 
is unlimited, to be honest with you. We've experienced so many different calls and so many different instances where we've been called upon to, to think on the fly and, and make decisions based on, you know, split seconds. And so I guess part of this is, is to show people that, okay, when, when your body or your mind says, I'm not in this game anymore, you have a place to go. You create your own path and you can thrive as well as just survive. And, and to be honest with you, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want to make a difference. I want to put a product out there or a couple of products out there that make a difference in everybody's life, you know, and, and that's a, that's a lofty goal. It might sound ridiculous, but that's, that is, that's what's out there for me. I have, as I said, mixed emotions about leaving the fire department. I, um, I love the people I work with. There are some phenomenal human beings that I've experienced in my time in the fire service. I, um, I learned some things in the fire service and I learned some things about the fire service and some things I never expected to learn. Some things I never wanted to learn. And, you know, I've seen this seedy underbelly of the fire service and it's there and it's time that we, we work on that as a community. We need to change some of these things. And that's part of what I want to work towards in the future. And I think that I can make that change and make a difference at a bigger level outside the fire department than I can if I'm inside the fire department. I think I'm constrained by, you know, what I can say and what I can do and, oh, you know, topics I can, I can approach and topics I can, I can put out there kind of constrained and, and I want to grow this whole thing. I want to, I want to give everyone, I want every modality of treatment, every modality of therapy to be available. And I want it to be available, available to be spoken about and not face repercussion. I want to be open and honest with my audience and myself. And I want to just break free of, of some of the, there's always a little piece of this toxicity in, in an organization and some have it more than others. And I'm, I'm ready to just be free of that and be unrestrained, um, not be constrained to, um, to a norm that wasn't set by or for me. I love the fire service. I love the people that I've worked with. I love the experiences I had. I had a crazy ride in 10 years. I did a lot of stuff. I saw a number of different calls and I was challenged in numerous ways. but I'm ready to do it on my own right now. I'm ready to step out and be me. And an organization like the fire department doesn't like when you are, when you are you, because they want you to conform to what they need. And I understand that, but it's not for me anymore. You know, so I will, next time I talk to you guys, I will be former firefighter. Um, I hope that it doesn't diminish what I bring to you. And if it does, I think that we need to visit that a little bit in itself. I 
look forward to seeing what's on the other side for me and creating a path. Like I said, cutting a path, creating a future and just pushing forward. That being said, welcome to episode 107 of the things we all carry. Today I have Joey and Joey is, uh, Joey's out of Florida. He's a former firefighter paramedic in the Panama city beach area. He, um, he was, in, he was a firefighter for 12 years, roughly, and diagnosed with PTSD, and he got out of the fire service about two and a half years ago. So this was an interesting conversation for me because here's somebody who was recently out of the fire service and has made his way in the world without what, outside of the fire service. And so I'm looking, when we interviewed, or well, when I interviewed him and he, he came on the show, I hadn't really announced it. So he doesn't. He didn't really have any idea. He was kind of speaking to me about, you know, how to make some change and how to move forward after the fire service. And so I appreciated that conversation from that standpoint, including other standpoints, but that was kind of fascinating for me. And so it's something I want to talk to him again about. And I, I think we have a, a show coming up there. We're going to schedule with myself and, and TJ from keep the promise with Joey. And we're going to talk about a, that, that progression of transition basically. So what Joey does now is he uh, runs a company called Conscious Movements. Conscious Movements is is um, is part of his healing journey, and you, you know he'll get into what what he does through Conscious Movements and what what Conscious Movements involves and how it affects him and the people he works with. A brief synopsis of Conscious Movements is simply uh, it's a way to share info to create a cultural shift, and that cultural shift he wants to make in the fire service. And that's a, that's a noble, noble idea because as we all know, shifting a culture like the fire service is damn near impossible. And so I support what he's doing and I hope that he is able to get that cultural shift he's looking for. I hope you guys are able to sit back, listen, enjoy, and take away a few points from this. And, and again, wh whatever questions or comments you have yeah, yeah, just reach out to me. I'm available, uh, Instagram, TikTok, email, whatever you need to do, reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Let me know what your questions are. I'll answer them as best I can, or I'll find someone who can answer them. So you guys sit back, enjoy, and then, uh, get out there, do something for yourself today. A quick reminder to please help us build a community, which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder, you know, love or care about y'all enjoy the show. Yeah, let's do it. Man. All right. You're going to see me kind of flash away because I'm going to look at the notes that I have as well. So don't, don't panic. I'm not ignoring you. I'm, I'm just trying to okay. keep up with you a little bit. All right. So, yes, sir. All right. Well, welcome back to the things we all carry. This morning, I have Joey. Joey's out of Florida, and remind me what part of Florida? I know it's Central Time, so it's it's on the Panhandle part. But what's yeah? Which I'm area? Panama City Beach. All right. So, Joey's Panama City Beach, and Joey is a former firefighter, paramedic, and he was he did the job for twelve years. He was diagnosed with PTSD, and about two and a half years ago, he. He, he got out of the service and now he's on a journey and, and it really is a journey that I think a lot of us are going to take when we get out of the service and it's kind of, it's a healing journey. And so through that, he's founded a company 
called Conscious Movements. And Conscious Movements is a focus on uh, sharing info on this, make, trying to create a sh culture of, cultural shift for first responders and anyone really, nurses, doctors, veterans that are experiencing these traumas on a day-to-day -day basis in their jobs. And it's just things he's learned to, to mitigate his his PTSD and his, you know, the the emotions that he's experiencing from the job and the PTSD and the trauma. And, and so what he's done is turn that into a company and turn that into a message to to share with everybody. And I'd like to welcome to the show this morning. Good morning, Joey. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Thanks I'm, for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, before we started, I, I, I made a joke about uh, the differences on camera here this morning. The fact that you're sitting there in sunny Florida and you got a nice tan going on and I'm, I'm up in Virginia in a dungeon and it's cold as can be outside. So I'm a little jealous. So you'll bear with me while I, while I well, not jealous, envious. We'll go with that. You'll, you'll yeah. bear with my envy for a few minutes there. So, um, all right. So how, how are things? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Excited to, to share this message. Um, honestly, what I want to share today is stuff I wish someone would have told me when I started the job at 19. Um, I think with a little bit of information and, and some skills, I think I could have still been doing the job. Um, I think that with some information and skills, a lot of the guys who end up committing suicide would have, you know, some tools to, to prevent that. It's a, it's a tragedy. The rate of suicide in all our hero fields, police, military, fire. Um, so what we're doing currently is not working. Um, you know, the statistics bear that out. So I think with a little prevention, a little bit of information and education, we could, we can make a big shift. You know, I had a conversation with, uh, with a couple of people yesterday and a prospective guest. And one of the things that, uh, I, I use her, her, Karen is her name. One of the things that Karen said was, well, there's a shift and, and we're, we're getting so much better about taking care of ourselves and, and our, these traumas and how to recover and, and mental health in general. And then I see a comment on, on a post yesterday and someone's like, man, just go to the gym and get your serotonin up. Stop being a, stop being a victim. And I was like, well, no, we're not. It's still out there. It's still very prevalent. And, and we still need to keep, just keep pushing this. So, so people just get it and people still don't just get it right now. Yeah, no, that, uh, so that going to the gym and just working it out is more of that kind of tough guy mentality. And that's what I did for a long time. And yeah, you get some relief, but if you're not actually addressing the traumas, you're just ignoring it. Um, eventually it's going to bite you in the tail. And that's, that's what happened to me. What's the last song you listened to? Um, the last song I listened to is a, a guy named Coda, the friend. Hmm. Uh, and it's, I believe the song is called open on Sunday. Okay. But it's, he's a rapper, but very conscious, aware. He talks about, you know, the body keeps the score, addressing trauma, generational traumas, and being a better father, all these kind of things. Coda with a K, Coda the friend? Yeah, K-O-T-A, the friend. Okay, cool. Thanks. That's a, that's one I hadn't heard, and, and I'm going to check it out to, this afternoon. Well, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Where were you born? Where were you raised? I was born in Hollywood, Florida, South Florida. Oh, yeah. I know where Hollywood is. Yes, from 954. Love, love the area. Um, and then I ended up moving up to Panama City Beach about, I guess, about 13 years ago. All right. Um, did, you know, did my fire academy paramedic down south. And at the time, there was no jobs. So I just started applying and was lucky enough to get hired up here and then ended up just staying. 
right. Nice. So you, you, you're born in Hollywood. You find your way to Panama City. What was what was growing up like for you? You're in were your parents married? Were they divorced? Did you have kids? Or excuse me, did you have siblings? Did you was school an adventure or was it something you you enjoyed? What was it? What was going on? Um, so I am one of four. I have an older brother, myself, and then a bro- a younger brother, a younger sister. Um, my parents got divorced when I was around nine or ten years old, um, and that kind of sent me on a path where I kind of had to grow up young. Right. And basically, my older brother and I kind of took care of our younger siblings. Um, school, you know, I did did well in school, um, but a big focus for me as a kid was just supporting my family, helping out any way I could. And that's kind of where the fire service came up for me. I think in 11th or 12th grade, I had a opportunity to do an explorers program where you go to the firehouse and, you know, see what's going on there. And it just, from the beginning, I was, I was hooked. You know, I, I don't have to sit behind a desk. I get to help people. I get to, I've always been an athlete. So I, you know, I get to do a physical job. Um, and then after that, I was just, I was all in, went straight to the fire academy after high school, got my EMT, got my medic, and then, you know, started working by the time I was 20. Yeah. So you're one of those guys that got into it young and, and were, you were probably impacted a little bit earlier than most people in the fire service. If I'm, if I'm going to take a guess. Uh, say that again. I said, you're probably impacted a little, little earlier in life with, with some, some traumas than, than most people in the fire service, just because of the explorer service and then getting in right after high school. And, and it's, I mean, I, I make an argument with some people that th- these guys that come in at 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, the, the brains aren't formally formed or aren't formed yet, completely formed yeah. yet. And so now you're imprinting some of these traumas and, and emotions on a brain that's just not ready for it. And I know someone out there is going, well, 18, you can go to war. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're ready for it. I, I don't care yeah. that the, I don't care that the country says you can go to war. That doesn't mean you're necessarily ready for that stuff. Yeah. Our prefrontal cortex doesn't uh, fully evolve till like 26, 27. So that's the part of your brain that allows you to kind of take a long-term perspective, kind of step away. So a hundred percent to your point, you know, it's the job is already tough enough, but if, your, your brain isn't even fully developed, how you got kind of have no shot. And especially if you have no one showing you the way, um, which was kind of my experience, my, you know, I think two or three weeks onto the job, I was first on scene for a young man, probably a couple of years older than me, uh, got, he was riding his bicycle across, across the street, got hit, ends up, you know, full of visceration, guts all over the floor. I'm first one on scene. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? And, um, guy ends up dying on scene. And the way we dealt with that as a crew was, you know, you clean your stuff up, go back to the house. And then the next day we all went out and had some drinks together and, and that was it. Yeah. It like, really sets the stage right there. Yeah. No. And that's, I mean, for the rest of my career, I didn't see anything different that, that is the norm, um, you know, from my experience. I was going to ask you, what's the extent of the training for you in, in, in your department? And, and did you, did you get anything through the academy, through, through when you, you became a rookie and on through those 12 years, or was it just kind of not even addressed at all? I think we, 
we do somewhat, but I think it's more lip service. Mm -hmm. Um, a big thing that I was told, um, was the whole saying of it's okay to not be okay. Um, but the problem I see with that is there's no one, you don't have any of your superiors just, you know, uh, em or modeling that behavior. Right. So as a young guy, it's like, okay, it's okay to not be okay. But I see all the guys who are moving up the ladder, all the guys who are, you know, the hard chargers, the guys I want to be, I want to be that badass fireman. They sure aren't showing any emotions right? or, you know, being vulnerable or talking about what's going on. They seem like they got it all together. So, um, I think we do a lot more lip service, um, about this mental health thing. And the part I think is missing is we don't, um, we don't drive home the point that trauma lives in the body. So this idea that the body keeps the score when you experience a trauma it is literally an energetic shock to your body. Um, and unless it's expressed, it's, it's going to stay stuck in the system and it's going to lead to dysregulation, um, eventually leading to burnout and PTSD. So we are starting in the fire service to, to mention mental health. Um, but from my experience, you don't have any of the upper brass, you know, really showing it. It's more of, you run a shitty call. The chief comes down. Hey, is everybody okay? What are, you know, I'm yeah, chief, I'm good. You know, I don't want to, I'm not going to bring attention to myself. So until there's a cultural shift where as a, you know, a 19 year old guy on that first call, if my Lieutenant would have shown me a different way of dealing with his stress and trauma, that would have imprinted me to then go forward. Yeah. And you know, when now I'm a 30 year, 30 year old guy in the service, I can help the next guy behind me. I'm not afraid to express, you know, some emotion to him after a bad call. Um, and that's what, that really bugs me. Cause we could, that would have such a domino effect. You know what I mean? It would, we could take these traumas that we experience on a daily basis. Every shift, you might run the worst call of your life. Instead of keeping that repressed, we could actually use those to grow as a crew, as a, you know, as, as first responders. I hear the Navy's out there. Little fly over there, huh? Yeah, we got the, uh, the, uh, Air Force base close by. Oh, is it Air Force base? Okay. I went with Navy. I, I wasn't sure. That's kind of cool. Um, you know, what you we got Navy and Air Force. You've talked about, um you know, if they had given you the right tools and you talk about that, that call at 19 and that, that kind of sits with you, obviously, cause you don't do anything with it. So for the 12 years you're in the service, you, obviously that's kind of that, that lays the, the groundwork for how you react to everything else. And you were diagnosed how long ago with PTSD? Cause I know you got out two and a half years ago, but you were diagnosed before that. Oh yeah. It's probably been three, three or so years. I've been out in the service for about two and a half now. So, all right. So first of all, what does that look like for you? Well, how, how do you start realizing, oh, wait a second. No, I've got something going on and, and I've got to get this looked at. Um, so I, it, probably two or three years prior to putting in a claim for PTSD and seeking help, I was already, you know, having issues. Um, I, I was dealing with a lot of like chest pressure and shortness of breath. 
as a medic, I was like, oh man, I must be having a, a STEMI or something. So I would, every other shift, I'd be running 12 leads on myself. And, um, you know, I never had any cardiac issue. It was, it's a mind body thing. It was mm -hmm. all this stress I wasn't dealing with. Um, so, you know, dealing with the shortness of breath, getting to the point where, you know, going to shift, knowing I was supposed to get the keys for the box that day, kind of just start getting anxious on the way there, thinking about how I could, you know, maybe I could work with this guy so he can take the keys or, or, you know, just those th things started to happen where prior to that, I was, I was gung-ho. I was ready to get the keys, whatever the bat, the worst call, I wanted to be the one there. Um, you know, it's, it just started to get to that point where it was like daunting to, to be called out to, to traumatic calls and you kind of start almost hiding on scene, um, and hoping someone else kind of takes over. Um, and then, you know, probably two years of that and just, you know, realizing I was having some issue and then I started diving into understanding trauma. Um, and then it just became obvious to me that, you know, I had all the signs of burnout, compassion fatigue, irritable. I was gaining weight, drinking too much alcohol, um, angry outbursts, um, hypervigilance. I couldn't be in public without thinking something was going to go wrong. Right. I had to, you know, you have to sit with your face to the door. You can't have a, a door behind you, all these, these type of things. Um, and then when I, you know, said I needed help, um, that started that process going to the doctors and, and starting to understand more about it. So do you, when you file a claim for PTSD, do you, do you identify a call or is it a cumulative effect of calls? Um, so there was, I believe there was like 10 factors in Florida, um, that you kind of have to meet and it's like, you know, a, a death on scene gross bodily injury, uh, multiple others. Um, and my claim was on, I had two calls pretty close back to back, uh, where I had a, an MVA who I, I knew the driver of the one vehicle. He was, uh, intoxicated. He ended up killing another guy. We were both on or first on scene. Both cars are on fire. One guy, the guy who died was ejected. The guy I knew was, was pretty bad, you know, banged up. And then a couple of days after that had another rollover that involved pediatrics. Um, so those, after those two calls, I was, I, you know, I, I was, I had nothing left. Um, I was, you know, I had already been struggling. So I was already contemplating suicide. I was already dealing with these, these things. And those two calls, I, that finally showed me like, Hey, I, I cannot come back to work tomorrow. Let alone, I think I ended up getting off shift after that call. Cause like, how am I supposed to take these keys back? Like I can barely, you know, catch my breath right now, let alone go run another, you know, traumatic call. And what's the, do, I know we're going to be very delicate about this cause you're still in a process. Do you experience kickback immediately? Uh, financially, you're talking no, about? no kickback in the sense of, of, of higher ups going, wait a second. No, get back on the job. Um, there, it wasn't like flat out like that. 
But like I said, you, we have this saying that it's okay to not be okay, but it took me two or three years just to, to get to the point where I was desperate enough to raise my hand and say, Hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. um, and once I did, my experience was now you're kind of shunned. So it's not, you know, flat out people telling you to your face that suck it up, but buttercup. But if you've ever worked in a fire service, you know, it's kind of like being in high school. Everybody talks. Um, so I was on light duty for about six months and you're, you know, roaming around the stations, hearing the talk. And I would have a lot of the older guys tell me, Hey man, like you, you just got to compartmentalize like, yeah. you know, and I would ask them, okay, how do you do that? Do you have a little box inside your head that you just, you keep it separate? Like, let alone the fact that you're on your second, third marriage and, you know, you're alcoholic and all these things like that doesn't seem to be working for you. So even though we have this notion that it's okay to not be okay, from my experience, as soon as I ask for help, you kind of get shunned. You right. are now, you know, I was the day before I, I was a hero. I was, you know, I worked on the, our technical rescue team. I was, you know, a guy who got after it. Um, and now I'm just you, you know, a janitor, basically walking around the stations, cleaning stuff. And no one really wants to talk to you because they don't understand it. They, I started to realize too, a lot of guys who would talk to me uh, were people who were struggling, but they didn't know how to ask for help. And when I would tell them what my experience was, that made them not want to ask for help. You know what I mean? Like I had hopes of, of promoting. I was on that line, you know, I was eight, nine years into the job. I was, you know, starting to, to get to that point where I was going to move up the ladder. And as soon as you say, I need help now, like they're not going to promote you anymore. They might not say that, but sure. You know, it's, that's kind of how it seems to go. You know, I wonder, um, when I hear you say that the, the, the people out there, like once you ask for help, people kind of shunned you. And I wonder if it's because it, it, it touched too close to home for, for those people. Yeah. That would, when I would, so when I first started this stuff, like me being on this podcast, expressing this to you is a huge, you know, progression from a couple of years ago for so long, I was afraid to be expressive. I was afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, so when I would start to talk to guys about the stuff, you see them clam up and shut down because right. they were doing what I did. They were repressing everything. So they don't want me go poking around expressing my feelings because then that triggers their feelings. Right. Um, and then if then they would have to deal with the stuff, you know, which it's it's not easy to do. It's not easy to unpack all this trauma that we shoved down for however many years of service. So it, it, towards the end there where you had those, those back-to-back -back calls and, and you realized, no, this isn't going well for me. I, I'm not, I'm not where I need to be emotionally or physically, mentally. What, how was it affecting life in general? Like obviously it affected life at work. What was it doing to you at home? Um, so a big problem that I had with my spouse was just the communication. So, you know, 10 years of holding these calls in because I didn't want to 
uh, stress or traumatize my spouse, um, that created a big disconnect from us because she didn't understand what I was going through. I didn't know how to express what I was going through. So that kind of pushed us further and further apart. Um, so it was, you know, we nearly got divorced. I was drinking too much. I was probably more of an asshole than, than I would like to be just quick to, to be angry. Right. Uh, and really I was just, I was hurting. I had a lot of pain that no one understood. But part of the problem was I didn't let anybody in to understand. And that's part of this cultural shift. Um, if I was told as a 19 year old kid, instead of giving the example of, Hey, we're going to go drink and let's just keep this to ourselves. If I was told, Hey man, you have to express this, right? Uh, you need somebody, a spouse, a friend, whoever, um, that would have, you know, set me up to where my wife and I could have understood each other a lot more and she probably could have helped me. And, and I may not have got to that point where, you know, I'm, I'm at the, the end of my rope type of thing. Um, and one thing on that, that I'll share that really helped me, um, especially as firemen, we want to fix, fix, fix. Um, so, and that's most people's tendency when you express something traumatic to them, they want to, it makes them uncomfortable. So they want to say, well, you did a great job. You did everything you could, um, you know, you couldn't have done anything different. But when I first started to express to my wife, these traumas and she would do that, it would essentially shut me down. Yeah. Um, so something I want to express to everybody out there is you need someone who can hold space for you, who, who can just listen to you because the antidote to repression is expression. So simply getting these calls off of your chest um, in, a, in a container where somebody else is listening to you and they don't need to tell you, well, you did a good job. You did the best you could because that used to just frustrate the shit out of me. I'd be like, well, the, kid the kid's dead. Right. And that kind of would just put the lid on me expressing what I had to say. Um, so, I mean, that right there, if, if we, if in probationary school you were taught and you were, you know, kind of coached to who is the person you can go to that can just hear you out, you know, like the department should be kind of helping you find that person for yourself and giving you some tips. You know, if the department could have brought my wife in and explained that, you know, he just needs you to listen to him and just be there for him. Let him express it. Um, that would have, would have changed a lot for me. And, and in my healing process now, that, that component, just having my wife understand that. And when I have flashbacks, when we're driving through an intersection where I ran a call, if I get triggered and I feel I want to express, she's tuned into that now. You know, she can just listen and she doesn't feel the need to, well, you did the best you could, okay. you know, type of thing. And that, as I express it, I literally feel it coming out of my body. You know, that tension, you feel a release. That's what crying is. It's a natural release. Um, but we've been conditioned to not do that because real men don't cry and all these other just, you know, nonsense sayings. That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I uh, 
I I've always thought, well, I'm I'm too emotional because I, I I don't I don't mind crying. I'll cry I, when something happens, and and I've always thought that even you know before I started this whole th- this whole podcast and the whole conversation thing, I was like, man, I just that's that's too much emotion. But come to realize, no, it's not. It's that's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. And anyone that it's, thinks of that thinks thinks that about you is is out of line. So. No, a big uh, a quote that I heard when I first like asked for help was that crying has always been a sign of life. And mm. for me, that that just cracked me open um, because I know as a medic, you know, going to a pediatric uh, choking or whatever, you come on scene and you hear that kid breathing yeah. and crying and you're like, hallelujah. That's, that's a sigh of relief for fuck sure. Yeah, but <laughs> for us as the guys doing the job, guys and girls doing the job, if you're not crying, you're literally dead. Right. It's, it's a natural process, but so many of us have been, we've deemed vulnerability a weakness, which when I had my first son, that really came to light for me that no, being vulnerable and being emotional is a strength. I don't want to repress my son's emotions. I want him to have emotion, emotional intelligence and understand what he's feeling, learn how to express it. So that way, once you express it, you can come back to homeostasis and then you could be the best father, brother, you right. know, kid, first responder that you can be. Well, let's get, let's go back to, to the three years ago. You realize, okay, this is, this is what's going on. I need help. What's your first step when you decide you need help? Uh, my first step was telling my lieutenant. And at the time that the lieutenant I had was, um, we were already kind of discussing this stuff. He was going through his own stuff. Um, so he, he was someone I could confide in and someone who, who gave me a little bit of understanding. Um, and when I told him, I was like, dude, I don't want the keys anymore. He basically told me, well, Hey, you can, you know, why don't you put in a claim and take some time off? Um, you know, I never had any intention of doing that. I didn't know it was even a thing. Um, I had planned on being a career fireman. You know, I was, I could have retired at 50 or whatever with 30 years on the job and that I had no other plans. Um, so luckily I had a Lieutenant who basically told me, here's a resource. Um, and at the time it felt like, you know, I was in a, in an airplane and I was ready to jump and someone's like, well, here, here's a parachute, you know, take that parachute. I was like, Thank God, you know, let me pull that, that shoe and, and get some help. So you, you, you start a, a claim and that, that's one aspect of it. How do you start to ask for help for yourself? Because the claim is one thing, but actually getting help for yourself is a whole nother thing. Correct. Um, well, once I started the claim that put me on uh, light duty status. So now I was involved with workers comp. Um, and that they, you know, you're now in care. So I was given a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Um, I treated with EMDR, mm-hmm. uh, and I did neurofeedback. So once I asked for help, thankfully there's, you know, now you're in the medical system and it was, I started this journey of, of healing and I was able to, in a, in a way, you know, you're, you're dealing work with workers comp. So the system is kind of what it is, mm-hmm. but luckily the, the providers I dealt with, they were willing to help me. Um, so f- for example, for me, the, 
the talk therapy wasn't as helpful as something like EMDR. Um, EMDR is more directed at addressing the trauma and expressing it out. Um, so I would call that a body-based technique as opposed to a mind-based technique or yeah. bottom up versus top down. Okay. Uh, so in, from my experience doing the talk therapy, a top-down process, when I would try to express the, the calls, I would trigger the same story and my body would shut down. Mm. Um, and that didn't allow me to release the trauma. Something like EMDR, breath work, uh, TRE or trauma release exercises. These techniques are based at or are you know directed at addressing the body and then allowing it, allowing you to release that while not stimulating the same story. So you don't get stuck in this story. A lot of people with PTSD were just we're playing that same call over and over and we can't get out of it. Yeah, you get stuck um, on that loop. Yeah. So trying to address the trauma through your mind isn't always the best way. Um, so for me, going to my body and learning to release it by expressing it has been the most healing part. And then on the back end, now I'm less triggered. So now maybe with my psychologist, we can actually talk about the call. So as you opposed to just being shut down. You do EMDR and you find, okay, that works for me. That's, that's perfect. But you, you don't stop there. You go on and you find these other, these other things that, that eventually become what you're doing today. So how do you start to find those? How do you start to find TRE? How do you start to find the movements? How do you, how, where does that come in for you? That was out of desperation. Okay, perfect. Let's, let's hear about it. So do you start adding uh, one at yeah. a time or what? Um, it was, you know, I'm treating with the psychiatrist. I'm doing all this stuff and. I'm still feeling like I want to kill myself. I'm still way more irritable than I would like to be. My sleep is still jacked up. Um, so that's when I started to dive into breath work. That mm -hmm. kind of came my way. Um, and from doing some breath work where, you know, for 30 minutes or so, you're breathing in these certain patterns, I would have these, you know, cathartic releases where... I would have flashbacks of, you know, some hanging I went to or some whatever call and I would express it out. And then from that experience, I would feel better in my body. Um, so the first time I did that, that's when I put together that the mind and the body are one thing and trauma lives in the body. So from that experience, it just sent me on, you know, I was, I was inspired. And I started to look for what are other skills. So this whole idea of skills before pills, we have to have positive skills to deal with our trauma. Um, it sent me on that path and I got into Tai Chi, ice bath, sauna, um, getting my sleep right. All these kind of things started to, I saw them as ways that I can empower myself. So instead of having to wait to go talk to my therapist next week, okay, well, guess what? I woke up this morning. I'm, I'm on the verge of a panic attack. What the hell can I do? Um, and that's where I started to understand the breath and how I could use my breath to regulate my nervous system 
Um, and then it just, it started to empower me. It, you know, I was like, I went from a victim mindset where, Hey man, you got PTSD, you're messed up. I don't know what to tell you take these pills, talk to this lady who doesn't, who wasn't there with you. Um, and it started to be okay. Oh shit. I'm recognizing that I'm triggered. My body is in that fight or flight. What can I do right now? to regulate myself? How can I relieve some of this stress and trauma? Um, and then it's just been a, a practice of that. I, I've tried every different thing I can think of and everything that's worked for me, I've put it together into conscious movements. Um, and that's what I'm sharing now. What? I lost you. Yep, there you are. Yeah, sorry, I had a, a call there. No, you're good. What, what is TRE? TRE is Trauma and Tension Release Exercises. Um, it was developed by a man named David Berselli. And the story that I heard about that is basically he was in war zones. And after, say, a bombing or a traumatic event, he would notice the people involved in the, in the call. A lot of them would that go to that expressing. They would be crying. They would be shaking. Um, and after that crying and the shaking, that release, he would notice that they come back into a regulated state. Um, so he, I'm not sure the whole story, but mm -hmm. basically developed a technique to where through movement, you can stimulate your body to go into that um, involuntary release. Um, and that the first time I did it, you know, your body is literally involuntarily shaking and as the shaking moves through your body you might have some stuck points so for me it felt like my heart was stuck and just closed well by the time that shaking got up into my chest all of a sudden i'm sobbing my eyes out and experiencing these traumas but when i experienced those traumas initially i never cried them out i never expressed them so they were stuck. So TRE, breath work, a lot of these body-based techniques are ways of addressing the trauma that's stored in your body. And honestly, that, I think if we put every probationary firefighter through that, it would, ex it would without a doubt, show them this idea that the body keeps the score. The issues are in the tissues. Stress lives in your body. And that would then set us up for understanding that we need positive ways of dealing with our trauma. Um, everybody that I've seen, it's mostly alcohol, repression, going hard at the gym, video games, whatever, distraction. Um, and those are negative coping strategies. So finding positive coping strategies is, is the way forward. So that's, we need to give our guys some skills. So tell me about your your idea and your your method of conscious movement what is it how do you wrap it all together how do you present it how do you teach this uh so this just came to me recently because i didn't know what i was doing you know what i mean i had no plan of having a, a company around this or helping people with this um but essentially conscious movements is the skill of self-regulation so in order to heal from my trauma, I first had to become aware of it. 
So prior to learning these techniques, learning meditation, um, learning mindfulness, I was so dissociated from my, my own body. Um, so part of conscious movements is learning how to listen to your body. So by understanding the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic, parasympathetic. Um, so for example, when you're in that stress response or parasympathetic uh, response, your breathing goes up into your chest. Right. We breathe through our mouth instead of our nose. Our shoulders crinch up. Um, your heart rate, your breathing increases. Your mouth dries out. You get tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. um, so there's all these signals that the body's sending to you. Most of us do not have a clue. So we may be in a triggered state, but we're not even aware of it. And then our kid does something, or our wife does something, and we fire off at them. Mm -hmm. And you didn't realize that you were dysregulated an hour ago. Um, so conscious movements is using movement to tune into our bodies, start to learn the signals that the body's giving us. And then by understanding those signals, you can use your breath to downregulate or upregulate. So like I mentioned, that tunnel vision, um, you could recognize you're in a stress state. You notice you get that tunnel vision. Uh, we called it situational awareness on the fire scene. Um, once you notice that, you could become aware of it and intentionally toggle where you're looking. So when we're in a parasympathetic relaxed state, we go into that panoramic view. That's why looking at the ocean, looking at mountains, that kind of thing is calming. So by recognizing these things and then learning what are the toggles I can use, my eyes, my breath, my postures, we can downregulate the nervous system to where you can go from being reactive to coming back to being responsive. So I come to you and I, I'm just some dude and I listen to the show and I go, okay, that sounds like something I can do or I need to do. So I reach out to you and I say, Hey, you know, I, I got 11 years in, I'm just feeling like I don't want to do this job anymore. It kind of, I, I, I actually don't even give a shit if I live, you know, that whole thing. And we, we, not all, but many of us have experienced these feelings. What's your, what's your first step with someone like that who comes to you? My first step is getting them to understand the body keeps the score. Stress lives in your body. If you've experienced traumas and you have not expressed them, they're stuck in your body. Mm -hmm. um, so once you understand that, though, it gives you a path toward healing. And, you know, I, a lot of us who get into the service work hard chargers type a like we want to get after it so my challenge to the guys is like let's go get after it you have shit you're not dealing with if you want to be fit for service if you want to be a good first responder you have to do this work you cannot just keep shoveling it and putting it in that you know imaginary box and pretending it's not affecting you it's affecting you ask your your kids, ask your wife, ask your friends, you know, have I changed when I, since I first got in the job guaranteed, they'll tell you yes. Yeah. So for me, it was, like I said, I thought 
when I was first having these symptoms of chest pressure and stuff, I thought I had a cardiac issue. It's, it's less about the me me mechanistic thing. And it's more of understanding your mind and body are one thing. Um, and that's a different approach. You know, that's not necessarily the approach of Western medicine. We want to just fix things. Um, but once you understand that, then it becomes, okay, what skills do you have to express your trauma? So something I do with my guys and the people I work with is, for, like I said, first explaining to them that stress and trauma lives in your body. Then I'll maybe give them 10 or 15 different uh, tools that are ways to connect with that stress and, and relieve it. So for example, breath work, ice bath, sauna, journaling, uh, singing and dancing, getting in nature, TRE, meditation, all these things that put the onus back on you. Look, dude, get after it. You need to do something. Figure out what your best two, three strategies are and then get to work. You know what I mean? Like, come on, fireman up, let's go. So when you do this, you're finding what you're not, you're not saying, okay, these are the five things I do. This is what we're going to do. You're going, you're, you're taking something, you're going, okay, now we understand that all this shit lives in your body. And if you're not releasing it, you're going to have issues. You're going to have issues on, on, on the job. You're going to have issues at home. You're going to have issues just feeling like shit. Your body's going to be tight. Your body's going to be sore. It's going to, it, the, the whole thing. So you get them to understand that. And then do you give them these ideas to work on? Or do you say, or what kind of things do you enjoy? Or because I'm, I'm I saw a post the other day that you did, and I think it was two days ago, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but you, you were with a partner on a beach and you guys had a stick and you were, you were swinging the stick around in a certain, or swinging around and causing the other person to make a, a decision to, to use a creative movement to get around this or get over the stick or under the stick. How do you decide something like that works for somebody versus uh, breath work versus EMDR versus, and I know you're not doing EMDR because you're not, a, you're not a, you're not a therapist, but you, there's something that you would suggest to people, I'm assuming, um, versus um, sauna and cold plunge. So how do you decide which aspects a person should try? Or is that based solely on what they experience? Yeah, this is where it's like, it's on you as the person. Mm -hmm. Like I can give you, hey, these are 10 different ways. What are your top three? What are the ones that stand out to you? Maybe you're like, I don't know. Journaling's not for me, but yeah, I can do some breath work. I can do an ice bath. Okay. Let's try it. You know what I mean? This is kind of like my idea with probationary firefighters. If you explain to them, the body keeps the score. You're going to see a lot of shit in this job that if you don't deal with properly will affect you. You know, more of us are killing ourselves than the, the job is. So what we're doing is not working. And then it would be here are 10 different ways to deal with stress in a positive way. What are your favorite ones? Now get to work. So when I work with someone, you know, maybe they're interested in TRE, maybe they're interested in ice baths and breath work. Okay, let's do those things. See how it works. And again, it's, it's on you as the person. You need to tune into yourself and figure out what works best for you. You know, like, for example, my wife, 
when she's feeling a way, she'll she wants to express it and talk about it. That's that's her way. Right. For me, when I'm triggered, movement is my go to. Right. I need to take a pause and go move my body, um, get out of my head and get tuned into my body, feel what I'm feeling. Um, and then, you know, maybe I want to express it later. Right. Uh, but everybody's going to be a little different. Um, and it's it's on you as the first responder, as as the person to figure out what works for you. I think our job as departments should be giving people options and giving them tools and skills, you know, but it's not going to be the same for everybody. So uh, when I work with people, it's about giving them options. Let's explore it together, see what works best for you. And once you find those strategies, time to get to work. You know what I mean? Keep yourself fit for service. Uh, you mentioned the the stick and the play thing. Um, that in conscious movements, I do a play portion of the class and it's intentionally bringing us into a playful state. Um, and play is a blend of sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, tone in the nervous system. Okay. So there's this idea of the window of tolerance. So this comes from polyvagal theory, which is a theory about the nervous system and trauma and all this stuff. Um, but essentially, we we all heard the saying that, you know, you can only fill your cup so much. Right. So filling the cup is your window of tolerance. Um, something like an ice bath, I call that a nervous system exercise mm -hmm. because you are essentially stressing your body and through that continual stress, you're able to uh, make your window of tolerance bigger. So now you can deal with stress without getting triggered as much. Um, so we can train our nervous system to become more resilient through these body-based techniques. But when you're not dealing with that trauma, basically your window of tolerance gets smaller and smaller and smaller to where now you're just flying off the handle. Hey guys, quick break right here just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. What does a what does a conscious movements class look like? What how is it structured? Um, so it's about an hour and a half, and it's kind of like a yoga class. If you ever taken a yoga class, mm -hmm. uh, I'm up front, and I am essentially the practice is everything that I learn to regulate myself. So prior to putting in my claim, I used to get up. We would go on shift at at uh, eight o'clock. I would get up at five. I'd go down to the beach. And I would move and breathe for an hour or so just to get to a state to where I felt, okay, I can go to my job and I'm not going to freak out. Right. So my, the conscious movement class is the skills that I learned um, to regulate myself. So the first 30 minutes of the class is something I call working in as opposed to working out. 
Um, so a lot of us who are stressed out where everything is, is go, go, go. We're pedal to the metal. Mm -hmm. We're in that stress state all the time. And we don't know how to come back to the parasympathetic, that relaxation. So working in is kind of like a meditation in motion where I, I took movements from Tai Chi, which is, you know, you're doing these movements in a slow way, using your breath to keep your body relaxed and trying to be aware. So we all have uh, what I call parasitic tension. So a lot of us have our shoulders hiked up, oh, yeah. maybe a tight jaw. Um, a lot of guys in the fire service will have like a, like this jaw thing they do or restless leg syndrome. So those things are your body trying to release some stress. Um, but if you ignore them, it just stays there. But as you tune into those things with breath, with movement, with awareness, you can recognize, oh man, I'm holding my shoulders up and I'm thinking about this call. Um, but before you become aware of that, you're, you're kind of SOL. So the first part of the class is the working in nice and slow. Then we get to the workout portion where I'm breathing or getting people to speed up. And then at the end of the class, we get into the third gear. So you're in that fight or flight, heavy breathing. And then we lay down into a meditation where I walk people back through the breath. So through the class, I want people to learn what their stress response is and then learn how to use their breath to either upregulate or downregulate. So when you leave the class and you're in this calm state, you feel it in your body mm -hmm. and then the guy cuts you off in traffic, <laughs> normally you would say, you know, F you yeah. buddy, whatever you're able to pause for a second because you feel that trigger. You feel your body tense up, you're aware of it, and now you can go, oh shit, let me, okay, I need to do a nasal breath. And then instead of saying the dumb thing to your spouse or the stranger, you're able to respond. Um, and that skill, you're essentially training your window of tolerance. So now that, when I'm going to a fire scene or, a, you know, a, uh, whatever, a traumatic call, I'm able to stay present for longer because I'm aware of my body and I understand that a nasal breath into my belly stimulates the vagus nerve, which stimulates the parasympathetic, which calms the body down. Um, so prior to knowing all this, I used to, you know, you're going to a, a structure fire, you're fired up. I'm in the back of the truck and I'm, yeah. I'm just, oh yeah, let's go. Right. You, you step off the, the, out of the truck and I would have these moments where I'm just, I'm dissociated. I'm gone. After the fire, you kind of come back to, and it's like, holy shit, what did I do? That is what happens when you get into such a high sympathetic state that your body does that. You go into that tunnel vision and you revert to your training, but you're less aware. So by learning to listen to your nervous system and then either toggle it up or down, you're able to stay more present, which is going to make you a more effective first responder.
where do you do the, where's your physical location when you do the class? I know it's in Florida, but are you, are you, do you have your own space? Do you have, what, where, where are you doing it? I do it at a jujitsu gym that okay. I train at. All I right. just rent the space from them. And do you, I, do, I also do these practices with people one-on-one. Um, a big part of it for me is getting in nature. So getting your feet on actual earth out mm-hmm. in the, you know, with the ocean or whatever, those things are already calming. Uh, so that kind of amplifies the practice, but they can be done anywhere. Now, can you work, do you work with people outside of the state of Florida? Do you, do you, do you say, okay, I, I know that you're in, well, for me, example, Virginia, how, how would you do that? Or would you just be like a, a, a mentor and a guide guiding at that point? No, we can do it. I mean, I could literally do the conscious movement class with you over zoom. Right. You know, it's, um, I do think these things are more you know, beneficial in person. Of course. But I think once people wrap their head around the fact that stress lives in your body, um, and then you have an experience through movement, through breath, through an ice bath or whatever, of feeling that release. Right. Now it's okay. That's the, that's what we're going for. So however we can get you to feeling that, the skill is, is for you to be aware of your body. You know what I mean? So it's, we can do it over zoom. It could be, you know, in person, it, it works. However, it's giving people these skills and then putting the onus on them. It's, it's you, you have to take care of it. And so then your seminar on the other hand is, is what, just, uh, just the class on steroids. Yeah, basically. So the seminar I share about my story and how it all came about, you know, I tell people I was a fireman, was having these troubles, um, got diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, a big, a big key for me in developing this practice as well was understanding that PTSD is essentially a dysregulated nervous system. Oh yeah. You're stuck in that fire flight. Mm-hmm. So once I understood that in being a paramedic, I already had a good understanding of sympathetic parasympathetic that's why i think the fire service could really jump onto this like look your nervous system dysregulated here are some ways to regulate your nervous system um and that's what conscious movements basically is it's the skill of self-regulation and do you travel for the seminars i do yeah i've i've hosted them at different yoga studios different jujitsu gyms um, I've tried to share this information with departments in my area, police and fire. Um, and they're always excited about it and then it never rubber never hits the road at, at whatever reason. And I would imagine for a, for a fire station or a fire department, it, it's tough to do because you're going to have for, to really get the most out of it. You have to have people come off duty, uh, cause you can't really go into a firehouse while people are on duty. You'll never get through the 90 minutes. I think I, I think I lost you for a second there. You get on the job, you know, we got, you know, you get on the job and you got whatever, a couple of weeks of getting trained up on all the protocols and how people do things. Okay. Give, give me or someone like me a couple of days to give people the information. And then it's, it's so powerful because when I learned the TRE, I was still on the job and I did it with a few other guys on the job. And 
you would, I would tell them, Hey man, your mind and body are one thing. Trauma's in your body. And a lot of them would just be like, okay, you know, they're just kind of humoring me. But then once you go through this experience and your body has this cathartic involuntary release, now you can no longer think that it's nonsense. Right. So my kind of thought would be you give people before they start the job, give them this experience so that they understand it. So now when I'm 20 years old and run my first traumatic call, I'm already like, oh yeah, like this is a traumatic call. Let me not deal with it in a negative way by drinking alcohol and not telling anybody. And okay, yeah, that's right. I practiced breath work with this guy on probation or we did an ice bath or we did TRE or, you know, he helped me to establish an understanding with my spouse that, hey, when Johnny runs this call, he needs his spouse just to listen. Right. He doesn't need you to tell him anything. He needs to literally just get it off his chest. Basically, when, when you go out, you need a space, you need an audience, and what else for a, for a seminar? That's it. I All just, right. I have uh, three posters that I use, and maybe I can send them to you, but it's... Um, the, the three gears of breathing is one of the posters. Mm -hmm. It's essentially the biggest takeaway because when I started to learn breath work, it was confusing. You know, where a lot of the guys in the service know what box breathing is, right? Mm -hmm. Inhale four, hold for four, exhale four, hold for four. But when you ask them, okay, what is that doing to the nervous system? I don't know. Okay, well... If you understand the three gears of breathing, you'll be able to understand any breath work. Okay. So essentially, inhale through the nose is the gas. Right. Inhale through the mouth is the turbocharge. Mm -hmm. Exhale, nose or mouth is the brain. So box breathing is essentially a four-second inhale and a 12-second exhale. So that is a parasympathetic dominant breath, which is a down-regulating breath. Mm -hmm. um, so understanding that, you can then go, oh, I'm triggered. I'm, I'm ramping up. I need to press the brake. So as I extend my exhale, that's pressing the brake. So if my exhale is longer than my inhale, that is a down-regulating breath. If you, if we sat here for five minutes and I had you breathe a four second inhale, an eight second exhale, you would see your heart rate drop 20, 30 points. Right. And there's a saying that the, um, story follows state. So okay. the story in your mind follows the state of your body. Gotcha. So if I'm in a stress sympathetic state my mind is going to be revving. And that's, that is what I do with. I wake up a lot still and I'm in that. Mm -hmm. And right. then my mind racing. I have all these calls flashing through my head. And when I was being treated, no one told me simply, dude, you, you are revving your body up with your breath. Right. No one told me that. Right. They told me you have PTSD. Here's a bunch of pills. Right. And learning that, learning, oh, damn, becoming aware that, oh, I'm up, I have my shoulders up, I'm, 
oh, I need to downregulate. Let me start to exhale more. Let me switch to my nose. Let me breathe into my belly. All those things, um, I call that leveraging your biology. So how can I use my biology to, to you know, downregulate? Right. Um, so inhales the gas, exhales the brake. The first gear is the green zone. That's in through your nose, out through your nose. That is your calmest breath. That is how you should, everybody should be breathing on a regular basis. Um, second gear is in the nose, out the mouth. Third gear, in the mouth, out the mouth. So it's very simple. Like it's, it's fireman proof, right? Like hmm. yeah. we're in that third gear. That means we're in the stress response. Right. That means our body is dumping adrenaline and cortisol. That means our ability to stay present and have good situational awareness is going offline. Right. I can simply downshift. I can then bring that back. So that becomes the skill. It's simply, do I need to rev up? Do I need to come down? It works, you know, for depression as well. If I wake up and I'm just feeling down in the dumps, instead of, you know, going to kill myself at the gym or taking a Red Bull or slamming 10 cups of coffee, you can use that third gear of breathing to upregulate your body, stimulate the release mm. of adrenaline and get you going. Gotcha. So that I teach the three gears of breathing. I teach about the autonomic nervous system. So teaching parasympathetic, sympathetic. Mm -hmm. I basically just teach stress response, relaxation. So you're either revving up or revving down. It's um, funny. And it, then the last. I, I was going to have one mention about breathing. I think that if, if you've ever been on a fire and you go to rehab and you, you, we all do that. I mean, I know that if my heart rate's a little elevated when I come out of a fire and, and I want to go back and do some work, then I know the way to do that is to 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 de is to to breathe through my nose. And I'm 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 taking those easy breaths and I'm just trying to I'm extending that exhale because I want I want that I want to downregulate that heart rate. And so they, and I think many of us do it without even realizing that's what we're doing. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, but that it's a skill. And that's where it's like, if we were taught this right away, you know, right out in, in fire Academy or in, on probation, right. The, the time to be practicing the skill shouldn't be on that traumatic call. No, it shouldn't be after you come out of the fire on your third bottle and you're shot, you should have already known that you should have been doing that in training. You should be on the way to the call already regulating your breath. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's, for me, it's, it's just learning how the body works. Like when I started to piece this together, it was almost like it's a user manual for the body. Right. I was like, why wasn't I told how to up, you know, why didn't I know that you can go up or down? Right. Um, and once you understand that, then it's the skill. Now you can get better and better at it. So um, you, and then that helps you, that helps you, you know, in a, an argument with your spouse or your kid or mm -hmm. a stranger. It's the same scale of being aware. Oh, damn, my body is upregulating because my jaw is tight. My breathing's up. My vision's narrowed, all these things. And okay, yeah, I've practiced this a million times. I'm going to bring myself down. So 
well, you said there was a third part before I interrupted you. Um, so the last poster I, I teach about is the triune brain. Um, so the triune brain is an evolutionary theory of the brain. Right. Uh, basically, our brain has three evolutionarily distinct portions. You have the brain stem, which is also called your reptilian brain. Um, I, I color that red, just like the third gear of breathing is red. Um, so I made all my stuff fireman proof, color coordinated, and try to make it super simple. Um, then we have the limbic brain, which is our emotional brain. And then like we were talking earlier, that prefrontal cortex, that's your most evolutionary advanced part of your brain, doesn't fully develop till 26. That part of your brain is what allows you to delay gratification, take others' perspective, think creatively. When you're in a stressed state, the blood shunts from those higher level portions to the brainstem. And essentially you are an animal at that point. Mm -hmm. That's why we become reactive instead of responsive. Um, the saying I was seeing red or, you know, that, that kind of thing is happening in real time based on the state of your nervous system. So if I'm in a stressed state, I'm predominantly functioning from my brainstem. So that will make me in a less effective responder. So, and tying it all together and getting that buy-in is, is, is the trick. Yeah. And do you find difficulty getting that buy-in once you tie it together for everybody and present it in the, in that manner? Um, the people who come to my class and work with me know, I mean, yeah. a lot of them are already, hip to this idea that, you know, they've been stressed out. They've been doing the, the traditional medical approach of pharmaceuticals, maybe talk therapy, and it's just not cutting it for right. them. So th they're already looking for something else. Um, they may already understand that stress lives in their body and they need to express it somehow. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times when I give, when I teach the nervous system and then how the breath interacts with it and then how the brain changes based on the state it's like light bulbs go off for people and then when we practice it because that's the thing we can talk about it all day but until you practice it and until you feel it in your body it's just all you know it's all talk right but once you feel once you become aware that oh i didn't realize i was in a stress state I didn't realize I was wearing my shoulders as earrings hmm. and I've been reactive. You recognize that and then you feel that relaxation as you downshift, then it becomes the skill. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, when I, prior to starting all this, I had, I was so dissociated from my body. So that's something people have to understand about trauma and stress is when you're in these traumatic situations, the body can dissociate to allow you to survive that experience. If you don't then do practices to come back into yourself, you literally kind of get stuck in your head. So I couldn't feel my body for the longest time. Right. And as I started to do meditation and tune into my body, that's when I realized, holy shit, I have an elephant on my chest. Yeah. Prior to that, I didn't even have a clue. You know what I mean? But it was there. I was just unaware of it. 
um, I kind of lost where I was going with that. No, I, I just, I, it, I think you were kind of going over how you discovered that it worked for you. Um, and I, and my question was, you know, how do you get buy-in? But you're right. If you're coming to your class, they're already thinking that, that, that something is going to benefit them. And so on these seminars, do you find difficulty getting some buy-in or, or once you kind of lay it out like that, that people go, ah, ah, yeah, yeah, now this is, this makes sense. And then they can take little bits and pieces as they go. Yeah. The, when my, like I said, when I do the seminars, people are already coming for it. I haven't had the opportunity to teach this in fire or police stations, which is where I want to teach it because right. that's where they're the guys that really need it. Um, but for me, that I think something like TRE, breath work, ice baths, something that it's like, okay, we can talk all we want, but look, let me put you through this experience and you feel it. Um, and that's why I said, it's like, if we did that for every probationary firefighter, right? they wouldn't be able to dismiss it. You know what I mean? I don't have to convince you once you've experienced this release through the breath or through trauma, you know, the exercise, trauma release exercises. Um, and I think, I think that would be the way to get by it is to give people these experiences. Um, and then, and then they, you know, it's no longer a theory. It's, it's a felt experience. Um, but I don't think you can, you can't just talk somebody into doing it. They have to experience, experience it. But so, once you experience there's no going back. So you know what I mean? from now where, you know, from where you, I, I, we keep, I keep talking over you, man. I'm sorry. We'll try that again. So once you experience, you can't go back is what you said. Yeah. Once you, the first time I experienced that feeling of trapped energy in my body and then the release, which is that quote I gave you, it's, it's always been a sign of life to cry. Mm -hmm. I was dead inside. I was, I was the tin man. I had no heart. I had turned it all off. I was, I had shut my emotions off. I was numb. When I had that feeling in my body and that release, it was like coming back to life. Um, and then it, it sent me on this journey of now I was getting more in tune with the felt sense of my body. Mm -hmm. When I, when I feel that constriction and that shutting down, I know, okay, it's time to, I need to express it. Um, and now you know, almost three years later, I still struggle. I still have anxiety. I still have panic attacks. I still get triggered, but I am much more attuned to it. Um, so I, for example, for me, my stress response is a tight jaw and a tight chest. Everybody has what I call a specific stress response. So for you, it might be you clench your hands, or you, you crunch up your shoulders. Some people, their stomach gets upset. Maybe you start sweating or, all, you know, what I mean, whatever it is, that's the language of the nervous system. So the more in tune you get with that, the more able you're, you are to recognize when you're getting dysregulated. Um, and then you've practiced the skills of coming back. So in general, where are you today with everything? How are you doing? You mentioned you still have anxiety, you still have some attacks, you, but you, you're able to, to, to regulate it a little better a little bit better and react to it a bit, a little bit better. Correct. Correct. And what's life like today for you after three years out after a diagnosis or, and two and a half years after leaving the fire service? Um, it's, you know, it's, 
I still struggle with the stuff, but when I started to go down this path, it gave me some, it gave me that, it took me out of the victim mindset. It gave me skills. It, it became empowering. You know, I mean, I still have anxiety. I still get triggered when I go by certain places, but I'm not a victim to it anymore. I can recognize it and I have the tools to work with it without needing some therapist or somebody with me. Um, so life, you know, is, is good. I got two beautiful kids. I have a beautiful wife. We have a great marriage. I'm every time I talk about this stuff and share it and express it, I further regulate myself. You know what I mean? That was a big eye opener for me when I first started talking about this, simply expressing it is healing. Right. And that's part of the problem. We don't express. We are the tough guys. Uh, we have this notion that when we signed up for it, you know, suck it up, buttercup, all this stuff. Um, so all that being said, I mean, I'm at a great place in my life. Um, this idea of post-traumatic growth or purpose, mm -hmm. so transforming the traumas that I've dealt with and using them to empower myself and help others to empower themselves um, is a is a healing process in itself. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing I would want to, you know, drive home is this stuff doesn't just make everything go away. It's not you, you do one breathwork session and everything's great. It's you're learning the skill. Mm -hmm. And that skill is something you're going to need to practice for the rest of your life. Now, if I had these skills prior to 12 years of repression, right. I think I could have still stayed on the job. Mm -hmm. I think I've been able to, it's kind of like a, you know, a pressure tank, right? It has right. a relief valve. Yeah. So breath work, TRE, journaling, expression, all these things, or that relief valve. Right. Um, so instead of having a blevy and the, the whole thing blowing up, I could have been using those skills to relieve that pressure over time and prevented myself from getting to a place where I was, you know, just in, in a bad way. So if people want to follow, follow along with your journey and, and, and maybe look into taking a class or a seminar with you, where can they find you? Um, so my website is conscious-movements.com. I'm on Instagram at conscious underscore movements. Um, and those are, those are the two main places. Uh, my Instagram is more up-to-date stuff that I'm doing, you know what I mean? Uh, seminars, working with different clients, sharing different stuff. My website has more resources as far as videos that get into the triune brain, polyvagal mm -hmm. theory, uh, breath work. It has a lot of the books that I read that, that, you know, gave me the understanding of what's gone on. So I encourage anybody to, to check that out and, you know, feel free to reach out to me. My contact information's on Instagram and in conscious movements. Um, I would love to, to work with anybody. Um, really my message is they, we, in these fields, we are not doing good. No, I'll say it again. We we're literally killing ourselves more than the job is killing us. So it's time for us to wake up 
as a, you know, as a service, what we're doing is not working. The tough guy act is not working. If it was, we wouldn't be killing ourselves like we are. Um, so we need to develop skills. We need to understand stress and trauma. We need to understand the mind and the body are one thing. And we need to learn skills to empower ourselves so that we can be the best first responders we can be. I shouldn't be showing up to anybody's, you know, mother, brother, sister on their worst day of their life because they're calling 911. I should show up there and be able to be present, be able to be compassionate, be able to be open. I shouldn't show up as a salty dog who is just, all right, let's go, who has no compassion, who has no empathy. Um, and that's unfortunately what a lot of the guys do. Right. We get to that point where we're jaded, where we shut our heart off, and it's it's not helpful for anybody, you know. But I I think that has been the culture because we haven't understood how trauma actually affects right. us. We're, you know, we're given these these hashtags of it's okay to not be okay, but no one's actually doing the work. I haven't seen when I was on the job, I didn't see any of my lieutenants or any of my chiefs expressing and being vulnerable and, and showing emotion. So until we have that cultural shift, we're going to keep putting our heads in the sand. We're going to keep killing ourselves left and right. Um, and all this stuff I am preaching and wanting to share is what I wish someone would have told me when I was 19 and I started the job. You know, I mean, I, when I got on, it was like, man, you're going to see some crazy shit. And I was like, cool, let's do it. I want to see cool stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I remember being the kid uh, asking the, you know, the seasoned guy, like, what's the worst call you ever been on? And now I'm like, man, that's such a bad question to ask. Like, it's so. Yeah, it's a terrible question to ask. It's so, but as like getting into the job, you, you want to do cool stuff, but we're not told that hey all those calls you run are going to take a toll um so i think there's so much prevention that could be done in this thing um just by simply educating people giving them some some tools you know what i mean and then putting it on the guy if you want to do this job you it's your responsibility to be fit for service if you're experiencing these stress and these traumas and then you go off duty and you drink a bunch of alcohol and you don't do anything positive to deal with your stress. Eventually that's going to, you know, it's going to bite you in the ass. So I want to challenge everybody in these fields, take responsibility for your stress, take responsibility for your trauma, your spouse needs it. Your kids need it. The citizens that you respond to need it. And most importantly, you need it. You know, I mean, this, there's this idea of I, we all. So, I mean, we know it going into a fire, right? You're responsible for yourself first. I can't help my down fireman if I'm not fit for service. Right. So we have to do the work to, to deal with these things so we can stay, you know, stay responsive, stay present um, and stay compassionate. So let's get to my final questions. And I, I, I've kind of, 
I gave you a warning at the beginning that I, I'm considering changing my questions because I had a question posed to me that I thought was too good. Um, the other day I put a question out on to, to this, to the, uh, broadcast channel on Instagram, uh, the things we all carry. And it was, uh, I wanted to hear some writing prompts because I, I want to write some more. And, and I thought, well, l let's hear what people are thinking they want to hear. And one of the answers was, when was the last time you felt a sense of awe? And I, and it struck me, I was like, well, that's a fantastic question because it, that is, that's a tough answer in my opinion, because awe is, is such a, it, it should be such a rare thing it, or why would, why else would it be awe inspiring? And so I kind of want to ask you that. When was the last time you felt a sense of awe in your life? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I would say the last time I experienced a sense of awe was my second son being born about two months ago. And I mean, obviously the miracle of life is, is enough to snap you out of your daily drama. Um, but I think in order to be able to feel these positive emotions, we have to deal with our traumas. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to deal with our stress. If your body's stuck in a stress response, it doesn't matter how awe-inspiring the thing is in front of you. You may, may not be able to engage with it right. because, you're, because you're in a, a fight-or-flight response. So, yeah, the last time for me was my son being born. Um you know, my wife had to have a C-section. So there was this, um, death is kind of a quickener of your awareness. So, you know, having some fear that I hope she's okay. And then, you know, you hear the baby cry and you have that sense of relief and just the miracle of life. You right. know, it's, it, it's amazing. And for me, all is felt in the body. Um, and if you are not regulated, if you have all this stored trauma, the body becomes unsafe. Right. So you, you tend to live in your mind and you separate from your emotions and that ends up making you live in kind of like a flat land. Right. You're living in this just grayed out existence. Um, so that was the last time I felt it. And the more I've healed and the more I do this work, the more I get to experience positive emotions, which for a long time in my life, I did not experience positive emotions. Um, so. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's a, that's a perfect, perfect example. So, all right. What about a book? What's a book that you want to suggest for the audience? Uh, I'll give you two. Good. So Let's hear it. These are the first two books that again, like I expressed, showed me that the chest pain I was having wasn't out of cardiac issue. I'm 25, as healthy as can be. It showed me that it was all the trauma I've experienced that I haven't dealt with. So the first one is called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. mentioned that multiple times by a man named Basil Vanderkull. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm saying his last name correct, but it's that's kind of the Bible on this mind-body connection. Um, the issues are in the tissues, stress lives in our body. Um, the second book is called waking the tiger. Hmm. It's called, or it's by a man named Peter Levine. And it essentially describes how trauma stays stuck in our body. So the way he discovered 
um, what he calls a somatic experiencing. It's similar to the TRE. Um, so how the body naturally wants to release. The way he discovered it was he was in the savannah. He saw a lion chase a gazelle. The gazelle got to safety. And once the gazelle was safe, it started to spasmodically just shake for a few minutes. Then the shaking stopped. And then the gazelle just goes on its way like nothing ever happened. So he hypothesized that any stressful traumatic experience is an energetic charge to the nervous system. And unless it's released through crying, through shaking, through movement, through breath, it gets stuck. Right. And that's where in order to deal with that trauma, you have to go to the body. Um, you, when you go to the mind, the story can keep that trauma stuck, but kind of like shaking up a snow globe. If I have you breathe in an upregulated state, that's going to kind of rev up everything in the body, loosen it. And then you can re re experience it. You can release it. So those two books absolutely changed my life. Um, they empowered me to take a more empowered approach to my healing. Um, I, like I said, I don't have to be in the therapist chair. Once I learn how to do breath, breath work or once I learn the TRE technique, if I'm feeling stressed out, I can go in my backyard, do the movements and have that release. Um, and then you get better and better at it. And that's why I say, if we're, if we're taught this as first year firemen, you just going to get better and better at it. And then that's how you have a cultural shift to where now you're a 20 year old guy getting on the job and you got this, you, you know, hard charging Lieutenant and he's, he's dealt with his trauma. So he knows how to hold space for you. He right. knows how to express um, that it just shifts everything. And now traumatic calls can become galvanizing events for crews instead of what we're doing now is you have a round table. Yeah. Everybody goes, how's you doing? And everybody goes, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Just a big right. thumbs What's up for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, like I say that, and I'm not, I'm not saying that to shit on the guys and mm -hmm. what we're trying to do. No, I get it. need to do more. Like, I think the chiefs, when I needed help, they were trying to help to the best of their ability. Right. But if you as a chief have not experienced how the stress you've dealt with is stuck in your body and how it's making you um, less responsive and more of a, you know, quick to anger and all these things. You can't then leave no. from the front. Hey, like you're, you're going to come say, Hey, Joey, how you doing in this kind of distant way? You're not actually feeling me. You're not actually being vulnerable. So me as the young guy, I'm just, I'm good chief. Right. I'll, I'll suck it up. I'll go home. I won't tell my spouse. I'll pour me a nice strong drink and I'll try to compartmentalize. So thank you very much. I enjoyed that conversation and, um, uh, hopefully we can get some people pointed 
at least in your direction to ask questions and, and see what, what, what you can do with, with, with a few, you know, these movements and these ideas and see if we can start a conversation around it. And, and, uh, I think that was the purpose of today. And I, and I appreciate you coming on and spending close to two hours with me. Absolutely, man. It's like I said, this, the more I talk about this stuff, it's, it's such a reminder to me that the antidote to repression is expression. It's, it's really that simple. The shit that you're stuffing in your chest, you have to get it out. You have to express it in a positive way. So having conversations like this, they just, I mean, it, it cracks my heart open. It makes me feel so good. Um, so I really appreciate you, you sharing this. And again, I just want to put the challenge to everybody out there in these fields. It's time to, it's time to deal with your shit. We, we want, I want whoever's coming to my house when I call 911 to be present. You know what I mean? If you're going to be taking care of my son or my wife, you, it's your job. You signed up to do this. So take care of yourself so that you can be the best responder that, you know, that your citizens, that your community deserves. Also want to share, I have a conscious movements online program that I put out recently. Um, it's essentially like this conversation. It's everything I wish someone would have told me prior to starting the service. So it's the education and the framework around what conscious movements is, what stress is, what trauma is, how it affects the nervous system, how you can use your breath. Um, it's teaching you, it's kind of giving you that user's guide for the body. Um, and then it's a guided movement class to practice that skill. So the skills before pills, the skill of self-regulation. Um, so that's what the program is. Uh, we're running a sale right now. It's 20 bucks. Honestly, like I said, if I would have had this program 10 years ago for 20 bucks, I'd probably still be a fireman. Um, so putting this program together has you know, been, been a lot of fun. And, and the more I share with people and see people take that self-responsibility and start practicing these skills, it's just, it's an amazing thing. Um, so I encourage anybody to, to check out that program, uh, reach out to me if you have any questions and, and just thank you for, for listening to this conversation. Perfect. Go enjoy the rest of your day down there in the sun. Yes, sir. All right, man. Take care. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And we're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of the things we all carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.